Welcome to the Billingshurst Family Church Podcast. For more information or to support our work in Billingshurst and the surrounding areas, please visit billingshurstfamily.church. Good morning, everyone. My name is Russell. I'm a member of BFC, and it's a privilege for me to be able to share with you this morning from the Word of God. We are continuing our series in James, and today we're going to be looking at chapter 5, verse 7 to 12. And James speaks about patience here. And what comes to mind when you think of the word patience? Is it being stuck in a traffic jam and not getting angry? If I had to ask for a show of hands of who has been impatient in a scenario like that, I'm sure all the hands would go up, mine included. What about being in a long queue in the supermarket and not getting annoyed? How would we do with that one? doesn't happen very often for me that I don't get annoyed in queues. What about waiting for this current situation to be over? We often talk about having patience in situations like these, but we use the word patience based on the fact that the current situation is going to change. You could call it short-term hope, that traffic jam will clear eventually, the queue at the shops will move. But what about situations that there's not necessarily going to be a short-term change or even necessarily long-term change? Maybe someone has a lifelong medical issue or personal circumstances that there's most likely no end to. Would we consider patience in these scenarios? James has an answer for us to these questions in this passage, and there's some points that we can take from it. Ultimately, he wants us to think of our lives from an eternal perspective and not just our finite time here. So James chapter 5, verse 7 to 12 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. We can take five practical examples from this passage about what it means to lead a patient life. And the first example is anticipate the Lord's return. James is telling us, almost commanding us here to be patient. Not to be patient because the situation is going to change or because we only have a short time of suffering, but to be patient because Jesus is returning. He's talking about the situations that people found themselves in in the previous couple of paragraphs. And he's referencing being patient in circumstances that 
for the people of that time were not necessarily going to change. Life in the first century was hard, especially for new Christians who were being targeted and persecuted for their faith in Jesus. To be patient in difficult circumstances we find ourselves in doesn't mean wait until your situation changes for the better, because it might not change. James encourages his readers to patiently endure the sufferings of this present life from the perspective of the return of the Lord. And we absolutely cannot do this on our own. You may be able to grin and bear it, so to say, for a while, but eventually our fallen flesh can take over and we can lose sight of the goal. So we shouldn't try to obey this command by relying on our own natural strength. The only way we can obey this command is by not focusing on our seemingly unfair circumstances, but by looking toward the imminent return of our Lord Jesus. And at the same time, relying completely on the Holy Spirit for his supernatural power to enable us to hang on and run our races with perseverance. In Galatians, Paul talks about patience as one of the fruits of the Spirit, and I think he means something more than just quietly waiting and handling it. He means that the Spirit will inspire in us a, a persistence and a centeredness. Patient people persist in doing what is good, and, and they do it even when it's hard. In order to do that, patient people are focused. They cannot be pulled away from their central convictions and goals. And that kind of patience is called long-suffering. It's one of the prime characteristics of God, and he doesn't want any of us to perish, even though we've all rebelled against him. Rather, he persists and he reaches out in love by providing for our salvation through Jesus. James gives us another example here, that of the farmer. And, well, I'm not a farmer. I do know that a farmer doesn't sit back and relax and do nothing while he's waiting for harvest time. He's working hard, toiling every day. And he knows that the fruit is growing. He's not personally growing each and every individual piece. The Lord has set that into motion. But he trusts that at the allotted time, after all his hard work, the rains will come and his harvest will be ready to pick. Just like that farmer patiently waits and expects his harvest to be ready, we also must patiently expect the return of Jesus. But again, this essence of waiting doesn't mean sit back and do nothing and complain about our current situation. There's work to be done. We all have roles laid out for us by the Lord and we have this unexplainable hope and joy because we look forward to the return of Jesus and the fact that we get to spend eternity with our God. We need to have our eyes be looking heavenward. We talk about our hope being in Jesus and James says here to put that hope into practice and live our lives exuding that excitement that Jesus is coming soon. And I know, you know, times are hard, no matter what trials 
we go through, Jesus is our hope. And that really is a challenge to me in this time to truly be patient knowing that my circumstances aren't the reason for my hope. So many of us have had our circumstances turned upside down because of the current epidemic. I recently have been made redundant and this passage has been a real challenge to me to try and practice patience when most of the time all I've been feeling is quite a lot of frustration. But James tells us how to do it, to establish our hearts, he says. Some translations also say to strengthen our hearts, literally to put support posts up. And there's no quick fix here. This is the daily meditating on the word, spending time with the Lord, building that relationship with him and asking the Holy Spirit to help you and to literally add support posts to your heart. And most importantly is having those support posts bedded in the solid rock of Jesus. And Jesus gives us many uh, parables and stories of describing being rooted in him. And an example of that is where Jesus tells the parable of the sower in Matthew 13 about seed falling onto different grounds. The seed that was thrown onto the shallow soil wasn't able to grow deep roots and so the sun came out and scorched the plants. But then he goes on to say that the seed that was thrown onto fertile soil, it could grow strong roots and thrive. We as followers of Jesus have that fertile soil so let's strive to grow deep roots so that when the scorching sun of the trials that we face come out, we won't wither. Strengthening is actually vital to ourselves and to be patient means to strengthen yourself, but have that true hope knowing that the Lord is returning. The second point is recognize the Lord's judgment. One thing that being in lockdown and together with Marika 24 seven is we can sometimes get on each other's nerves. Being in each other's company, it's a blessing every day, but it can sometimes feel a little bit testing. In the situation we're all in, it's so easy to feel overwhelmed and there's a temptation to complain about other people. The Bible is full of warnings about grumbling and complaining, but James is specific here. We must not complain about our fellow brothers and sisters. It's easy to want to complain about things in the church, the way things are run, the way we were treated. In fact, the list is really endless of the things we could complain about and about each other. But he says it here plain and simple, don't do it. Once we get onto that road of complaining, it's not easy to get off and it's very, very damaging. And he takes this so seriously and warns us again not to do it. Something to think about is, would we complain the way we do if we lived lives like Jesus was standing at the door imminently about to enter? But we have to be honest here. We're not going to never complain ever again or never grumble. That's the nature of our fallen flesh. We have to daily submit to the Holy Spirit to be continually filled and led by him so that we can then 
walk by the Spirit. Only in that way will we, as Paul says in Galatians, not carry out the desires of our fallen flesh. So do we live lives that are overflowing with the Holy Spirit and walking in his power? Or are we complaining at church and against our brothers and sisters in Christ? James encourages us to remain unified. Yes, the circumstances that we're in are horrible, but that's never an excuse to turn on your brothers and sisters in Christ. To be patient means we must cherish each other. The third point is follow the example of the Lord's service. Now, this letter is mainly addressed to the Christians in the Jerusalem area who would have been mostly of Jewish descent, and they would have had a very good grasp of the Old Testament and the stories of all the prophets. In fact, they didn't have reality TV or news channels on all the time. Instead, these stories would have been shared and studied so that it was common knowledge amongst the population. James wants to encourage them to consider all the trials that these people faced and use them as examples of patience in their suffering. The prophets suffered because they spoke in the name of the Lord, and if you or I speak in the name of the Lord, we too will be persecuted for Christ. And I'm sure we've all experienced some form of that at some point. James goes on to give us a specific example here with Job and the trials that he suffered. And again, he knows the readers will be familiar with that story, and he's reminding them to go back and look at the goodness God displayed to a person who suffered severe trials. And this is a lesson that we should all be putting into practice. Go back and read the accounts of people who have suffered and see the goodness of God in their lives. To be patient, we must remind ourselves of the people who went through hardships and see God's goodness in that. The fourth point is understand the Lord's blessing. The God who revealed his abundant compassion and mercy in vindicating Job is the same today. The same spirit of steadfast loyalty to God under affliction will bring a fitting reward. As James spoke about this earlier in chapter 1 verse 12 where he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. He wants to help believers overcome this tendency to react the way the world would, to the injustices that have been heaped on them and to react negatively and angrily. The world, by its own very nature, is antagonistic to God and his kingdom. So we shouldn't be surprised when we face trials because we are not of this kingdom. We belong to the Lord. And Jesus even said we must expect hardships, but that we should be encouraged because he has overcome the world. To be patient, we must remember God's compassion and mercy to us. Finally, the fifth point is to understand the Lord's character. James finishes this passage by saying, above all. And we need to pay attention when somebody says above all because they're wanting us to have a remember this moment. Above all, do not swear by heaven or earth or any other oath, is what he's saying. In those days, swearing oaths was commonplace, and 
they would create different ways to swear oaths because if you swore an oath on the name of the Lord, it meant you couldn't back out of it. So they had come up with different ways of swearing different oaths so that they could back out of it. Like they would swear on the temple. They would say things like, I swear on the temple or I swear on the Holy of Holies. And they would swear on any object other than swearing on the name of the Lord because it was a way for them to seem honest and seem that they were going to keep their word. But in actual fact, they wanted to back out and not to be held accountable because they weren't going to keep their word. And in actual fact, if you think about it, we kind of do this today still. We still say things like, oh, I swear I didn't do it. Or when I was younger, it was quite common to say, oh, I swear in my mom's life I didn't do it. But you, you get the point. We still include this in our language today. And James says it plain and simple to not do it. Don't swear oaths. Jesus also condemned this practice in Matthew 5. And the custom of swearing oaths was a major part of life at this time. And it had become an issue in the church, predominantly the church in Jerusalem, where they were culturally from Jewish backgrounds. And they got into the habit of swearing oaths that they could back out of, and their integrity would come into question. And as a follower of Jesus, you don't need to swear oaths for your word to carry extra meaning. As James says here, when you say yes, mean it. When you say no, mean it. This teaching is a radical call to radical truthfulness. And this will set us apart from the rest of the world. And maybe sometimes even get us into trouble. Paul in Ephesians tells us to stand firm and put on the belt of truth. To be patient means to be truthful. Through all the trouble that the church was going through, James is laying an example down here. And that's an example of excellence. Don't let your current situation drag you away from a spirit-filled life. In actual fact, draw even closer to the Lord in those circumstances and keep your conduct above reproach. This is what James says is living a patient life in light of suffering because our reward is so great in our Lord Jesus. And God is gracious. He will help you handle the situations you find yourself in when you call on him. And he's promised to be with us till the very end. I want to finish off with some words from Corrie Ten Boom. Look around and be distressed. Look within and be depressed. Look to Jesus and be at rest. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have given us your word. Thank you for the examples that James has given us about teaching us to lead patient lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help each and every single one of us to lead patient lives going forward. And thank you, Lord, that you've promised to always be with us. We thank you for this in your name. Amen.